As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I am your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich? How we doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan, um, <laughs> let's see. Well, the, the Dodgers made the World Series, yes. right? Um, it's uh, It was a nice weekend, weather-wise. Um, anything else? Anything else happen in, in the world of sports that, that we want to talk about or that the Rams fans actually want to hear about? I will say, if you are upset about the, the loss on Sunday to the 49ers, uh, if you don't want to rehash it a little bit, fast forward to about the midway point. At that point, we will start answering some of your mailbag questions. But until then, we... Uh, well, we have to talk about it, so you might have to listen to it. The Rams, obviously, I think the word of the the word of the week is uncharacteristic. Suffered a quite uncharacteristic twenty four to sixteen loss on the road at night on Sunday Night Football to the rivalry uh, rival. I'm trying to think of something exciting to say, but I, I just can't. Like they they <laughs> lost to the Niners. I don't know, Rich. What like what were you thinking as this game unfolds here? Well. I've seen a few of these Rams 49ers games and you're not, you're not really surprised by anything uh, that you see. You've got some really good coaches in, in this, uh, in this rivalry. So I I feel like I'm always going to see something unique. Uh, The thing that I was thinking is my goodness, just, you know, everybody who has been questioning the Rams, like how good are they really? They swept the NFC East. Uh, They lost to the one really good team that they did play Buffalo. This was going to be kind of the first of those, you can't even say measuring stick games because mm-hmm. San Francisco is so beat up. But it was their first chance to really kind of put their foot down and say, you know what, we are a good team and we do have a good chance to win this division. And what happened? They go on Sunday night football in front of the entire nation and just it didn't look good, Jordan. I had so many people in in my you know Twitter mentions saying it looked like a 2019 game. And you know what? I don't disagree with them. Uh, there were a lot of things there that... Uh, you you saw last year that that were you know very upsetting from the Rams' perspective, and uh, it just wasn't good. I mean, you you said it very well in in your column, the pile uh, that's on the Athletic app and website. You know, uh, the styles there, the substance just wasn't there, and uh, so I'll let you elaborate on that a little bit. But I thought that was a really good way to put it. Well, thanks. I always appreciate you because uh, unfortunately, you are the poor, poor soul who has to read my multiple thousands of words uh, even after a loss. So I appreciate you being very kind in, in describing it. But yeah, my column this this week, The Pile, it it really points a finger at the underlayers. Uh, no pun intended, considering that's all Jimmy Garoppolo was using. <laughs> um, anyway, you know, I, I, I find it to be, I, I hear them when they say the word is uncharacteristic, but the Rams have so much potential. And, and really the point that I was trying to make in the column was they have so much possibility. They have a, a pretty much unlimited playbook 
from a guy who has assembled a staff of some of the brightest young minds in football, guys who are not afraid of bending the rules and um, sort of pushing boundaries and doing different things and scheming in different ways. And and then you see this, and it's just basically just a no backbone to it. There's, you know, missed tackles all over the place. They're missing their bread and butter plays on offense in terms of you have guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup who are two of the most consistent players with like two of the least drop rates percentage in, in the NFL year over year. Each have at least one crucial drop yesterday or Sunday night in, in, in the loss. I'm, I'm frustrated because it's, I think I, I'm echoed by all these Rams fans where this team is so, tr- can be so transcendent if they just make the simple executions of hitting their tackles at the right angles, bringing guys to the ground, you know, limiting explosive plays, catching the ball, you know, think, things that are just, are just, um, just bread and butter backbone things. And you can be the fanciest play caller in the world. I don't think McVeigh had his best night Sunday night, by the way, but you can be the fanciest play call in the world on either side of the ball. And if, and if, you know, things aren't being executed on a very conceptual level, then y- you have no substance with which to support that style. Yeah. There, there was so much wrong that I I'm trying to piece together, like almost like a chicken egg thing here. I'm not, I'm not sure where to start. Like I, I look at the, the offense and you go, well, you know, that it just wasn't there. Obviously it wasn't there. Um, but you know, I, I look at where it started, and the time of possession was just so out of whack in in the first half, and and a lot of the reason for that was the Rams' defense couldn't get off the field, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so the numbers don't end up looking terribly bad, but but Jordan, like I, I just it just it wasn't sharp all the way around, and and I know you you wrote this very eloquently, so I don't I don't need to say it again, but I just it occurred to me. Let me start here. I did a radio interview uh, with a with a Bay Area uh, station a couple days before the game, and they said, "How do you slow down Aaron Donald?" And I said, "Well, you double team him and you get rid of the ball in about one point five seconds, right? And that's pretty much all you can do." And I, I think coming off of that game that they had that the Rams had last week where they just, I mean, they destroyed Washington. They were all over them. Eight sacks, Aaron Donald gets four. I think you had to anticipate when, if you, if you're playing the San Francisco 49ers, you're playing a quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's, you know, wounded, <laughs> wounded at best and hasn't been playing very well, even, even when he's healthy. I, I think you have to know what's coming. They're, they're going to get rid of the ball quickly. They're going to, they're going to move it uh, side, you know, horizontally, uh, to, to not, you know, take up a lot of time to get the ball out of his hands. And the Rams just weren't sharp. Like the number of missed tackles, uh, allowing guys to, to catch balls in space, yeah. even though they were getting rid of it so quickly. I, I just looked at that and went, did you guys not anticipate like what was going to happen here? Or were, were they just not on the screws? Like it, it was a very uh, just kind of tepid uh, effort. I, I don't know. Do, do you think it was, were there any design flaws there? I don't necessarily think that there were. I, I think it was just kind of like they, they just weren't executing. And it, and it got better in the second half. But but I don't know. How did how did you see that? Was it, were, were there any structural problems or, or were guys just not not sharp enough? Um, the latter, definitely, because yeah. design-wise, I think this was a solid con- conceptual game. I mean, if you take a, if you take away, if you if you literally were drawing dots on a board, and you took away the the fact of execution, you see, okay, this this is a good game plan. Like this could work. The problem is, is if you're doing things like um, understanding that Aaron is going to be doubled, therefore. First of all, other guys need to contain slash make plays up front and did not. Um, you also are are understanding that the you know Jimmy Garoppolo's got a bum ankle, so you know you can try to hassle him. They did not. They had two pressures the entire game. Both of them did come from Aaron Donald, by the way. No sacks. Really, really struggled to contain these just egregiously dink and dunk. Jimmy Garoppolo did not throw past the line of scrimmage, but two times in the first half. 
Seriously, Crazy. his throws yeah. were his his throws were of negative yards, negative air yards, and what he relied on was yards after the catch, and they got them. You know, ninety percent of George Kittle's yards came after the catch. Debo Samuel, same thing. And the thing is, is if you know that the quarterback can't really throw downfield, you're able to play in tight, which they did. I think that's a good plan. You play Jalen Ramsey in tight because, again, how you're not going to put your number one corner back deep if the dude is not throwing past the line of scrimmage. <laughs> right. what, the, what the hell would you do that for? Right. I, I actually got a question about that. And that's, you know what, that's fine. I, like, I understand you're, you're kind of like, what's going on? But like, you're not going to put your number one corner back deep or on an island if the ball is never going there ever. And instead he could be more effective closer to the line of scrimmage in support. First of all, where where George Kittle is playing most of the time. Second of all, in support of the linebackers who are stretched completely thin because they're playing much wider in terms of much more horizontal than they are used to playing and, and probably are able to play if we're being honest and what they're doing is they're they're moving the ball first extremely horizontally, and then the receiver breaks one tackle, the running back breaks one tackle, and it's off to the races because the Rams were not able to contain. What they were doing is they were in a soft zone, right? They're keeping everything in front of them for the most part. That means you have a little bit of a cushion because you can afford to, quote-unquote, bend as long as you can bring down the guy on initial contact. Right. Or if other players swarm and contain at the point of contact. And neither of those things happened all throughout the first half. And that was a problem, big problem. I think the one poor, really, truly poorly designed slash called play was that cover zero blitz. Obvious passing play. Otherwise, they don't run that. But right. because you don't have Jordan Fuller, you're, all of your guys are up close and, and you don't have anybody as a center field safety and you can't get home on the blitz because he's getting the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo's getting the ball out super quick. Gets it to George Kittle, who just breaks one open. Nobody back right. there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just that. But but other than that, the, the execution was the main problem. And it was weird to see because this is, again, this is a team that plays fast, plays physical. Right. When we asked about it all throughout the night, it's it's like – okay, well, we weren't bringing guys to the ground, first of all. We weren't taking correct angles. Aaron Donald said multiple times, it's literally about wrapping and bringing a guy to the ground, and we weren't doing that. We weren't executing up to our standard. Everybody had said it. Not executing up to our standard. It's being coached. It's being repeated every single day. We did not execute up to our standard. And that was such a huge issue, obviously, throughout the the first half. They go up 21 points. The offense can't get anything going. I'm curious to hear because I know I'm I'm probably I, I'm I'm coming in from the outside. I haven't spent a lot of years, you know, watching the Jared Goff experience. So I, I probably I probably veer a little bit on the harsher side of him. Um, however, think he's got so much potential. He's shown that potential in the first several games of the season. I don't care if if they weren't playing good op- opponents. Other teams were getting pressure. And he was operating very well within that pressure, within that chaos. One thing I think worked against him was the 49ers were, I think, unexpectedly solid in their coverage complement. So the back half was playing really, really well. I, I don't think Jared Goff has faced a secondary that's been able to rattle him as much in that regard. Normally, he sees where he wants to put the ball, and he puts the ball there and has got has been very good at working under pressure. Well, you know, he's got minor pressure other than a couple of key points on Sunday night and a couple of times missing receivers, miscommunications, out of sync with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, who both dropped, like I said, at least one crucial pass, one obviously in the end zone from Cooper Cup, one Robert Woods down the sideline that knowing how Robert Woods runs with the football could have been a touchdown. Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious as to what you saw, Rich, because even even going back, I mean, Jared Goff called it his worst game in, in a while, and certainly yeah. this year. You know, I, I, I think it was his worst game this year. I don't think ever, of course. But, but I do think that for him, 
you know, there was some good and some bad. He was not helped at all, I don't think. Um, I'm, I'm curious about what you thought. Yeah, I, it was his worst game of the year. There's no, and, and Jared is an honest person, and he, he said it himself. Um, I didn't think it was an egregious uh, game, but they, they just they weren't in sync. And, and I'm sure it impacts Jared a little bit when, when you see guys like you know Cooper Cup and Robert Woods dropping past. That does not happen. I mean, I'm not right. saying there's any type of trust issue or anything like that. But that w- if you're a quarterback, you've got, to, you've got to look at that and go, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? Because that, that does not happen. Um, I, I'm glad you uh, said what you said about the 49ers. I, I, I thought you have to give credit to their cornerbacks. They played a very good game. I, I remember... Uh, reading, listening to a couple things uh, leading up to the game, where people said that's going to be that's going to be where the Rams win the game. They're going to yeah. be able to pick on those corners, and and that did not end up happening. Those those Forty ers quarterbacks uh, played very well in coverage and you know disrupting, uh, making plays on the ball. They they did a very good job. Uh, Jason Verrett, uh, you know, made a couple nice plays. Um, so you, you got to give credit there. Um, you know, Jared, the, the interception, uh, I, I don't know what he was looking at on that play. I mean, obviously he's trying to make a play, uh, but it, it wasn't a good throw. And again, I'll, I'll take it back to, to Sean McVay a little bit. I, I don't know, you know, these games get so out of whack, especially when you when you start trailing early, but, but they weren't doing a lot of the things that really uh, helped Jared in, in earlier games. You didn't see a whole lot of the rollouts. You didn't see a whole lot of, you know, getting him on the move and, and letting him uh, make plays that, that way. There were a lot of pocket passing um, and, and there was a lot of passing period. I'm sure we'll get to that. You know, my, you know, my favorite subject, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, look, it's, it, it wasn't a terrible game. Jared Goff did not cost them that no. game. I, I don't think anybody would, would make that argument, but, but it certainly, he was not at his best just as Cooper Cup was not at his best, Robert Woods, Sean McVay, uh, the inside linebackers, uh, you know, the defensive front. I mean, none of these people were at the best, their best. So I, I don't think any individual you can look at and say, well, that's the clear reason. Oh, I forgot Samuel Sloman. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to that. You talk about my Twitter, refer- uh, Twitter mentions. Uh, but uh, that, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't, I don't think you can put this on one person or one thing. It just, uh, you know, I, I think I, I texted you at halftime. I just said, it's it's a grease fire. Like, yeah. it, that's really what it was. Like, you know, even if they had cleaned up one or two of, the, of those elements, I, I think they were still uh, in a lot of trouble. But uh, I, know, I know there's more about this offense that we can <laughs> that we can talk about. Yeah, Rich. I mean, I think you said it very well and, and obviously a lot more eloquently than I do because I tend to ramp, rant and ramble um, and shake my fists and you know what I mean. So I, I'm, I, I'm grateful that you summed it up in that way because you're, you're totally right. And like, you know, Jared was really hard on himself after the game. I probably would not have been so hard on him personally because I think you, you can't have one issue he had some unforced errors i will say and and if he's being that tough on himself you know that there are things that we are not seeing clearly on a first or even a second or third watch of the game where he is clearly upset about maybe missing guys at times maybe having a miscommunication at times maybe making throws he feels he shouldn't have made at times there, for him to be that hard on himself, not only was he taking ownership for his receivers, but also um, of some some things that he was pretty frustrated with himself about. So, you know, respect. I respect that, and I believe him when he's when he's telling us, you know, this was my my worst game of the year, and I'll never play like that again. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U S based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So the other thing that I thought was weird, and it's just more of a vibe pickup than anything else, so nobody quote me on this, (laughs) but um, I felt like in the Bills game, Sean McVay, not only did he stick to the run, which was the best decision he made that entire game because Daryl Henderson really got things back on track for them against Buffalo in that comeback attempt, and... I, I felt like he also, Sean McVay also put a lot of autonomy and trust into Jared Goff, but I didn't feel hmm. that. I felt almost like Sean McVay was maybe like overthinking it and, and maybe just helicoptering too much. I don't know if I, like, I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but the vibe, the vibe I picked up was like, are you, are you kind of in your own head right now, Sean? Yeah, I'll... I'll get myself into even more trouble here, okay? <laughs> well, good. Because... You don't have to show up to the facility every day anymore. So yeah, oh, you're, you're right. Better, okay, it's yeah. better right. you say it than I do. Perfect. <laughs> um, I, 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 think he gets, I think he gets a little too lost in his head with some of these matchups uh, with the coaches, you know? I mean, it's, it's obviously there's a lot of ties with, with him and, and Kyle Shanahan, uh, very, very deep ties. And, you know, even him and K- Cliff Kingsbury, uh, things like that. I, I do think there's a point where you can overthink it or you you start to, you know, well, what are they going to do? So what are we, what should we do to counter that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I think, I think it's, it was a little too fine. Um, doing what they did in the past few weeks would have been enough. Uh, why did they get away from that? I, I don't know. I mean, some of it maybe is game circumstance related, um, it's, it's always a different situation when you fall into a hole a little bit. Um, but I, I agree. It just, it looked a little, a little too cute. I mean, everybody knows how I, how I feel about this, but, uh, you know, the Rams come out uh, or the 49ers come out and go down the field and score the Rams, get the ball. What do they do? Pass, 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 run, pass, <laughs> punt. And it's like, okay, I understand. Like maybe you see some things, maybe, you know, the 49ers are playing you a certain way where you, you think that the play is, is to throw the ball, but it, it just seemed like they got a little bit out of sync early on. And I, I thought they, they eventually got it back. Um, but they just, they looked really, really out of sync in, in that first half all around. I thought. Yeah. And, and, you know, on defense, they adjusted well. Obviously, three points allowed in the second half. They've been playing very well in the second half on defense. You, It's a mixed bag because you don't want to have to adjust in the first place, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, like you want to just have the right game plan right from the jump. and Or in this case, I think they had the right game plan, but you want to execute right from the jump. But, I mean, it, it was, it just felt oddly tense, like like you were, you know, kind of alluding to. Like, it just felt tense, and it felt like Jared was tense and, and not playing like how he had played the first few games. It felt like just confusing at times of the, the running back rotation and almost the rigidity of sticking on, on the specific running back rotation that they were in, although... Sean McVay explained Monday night when speaking with reporters uh, about a little bit more about rotational decisions and how they would also like them to be more flexible, but basically indicated that Malcolm Brown is, is rotating in as much as he is because they really need his help to counter some pressures, et cetera, and in obvious passing situations. I still think that you can maybe get away with keeping Daryl Henderson in more, especially when he's biting off six and a half yards almost per carry. Um, And then you saw some things that maybe were like overthinking. Some of the timeout usage, some of the, uh, I mean, you really wanted that uh, at least one more timeout uh, behind the two minute warning. Cause I think you could maybe have a chance at that point, but they, 
they kind of just watched the seconds tick away and, and you know, allowed that, that ice by Debo Samuel um, on third down to sort of put the game away. And, and it just, you know, I mean, it's, it's like what you said, Rich, it just felt, it felt oddly tense. When they were in the heyday of that Bills comeback, I felt like they were just playing loose and just playing their game, their football game. And the Bills had a great game plan. They have a great defense. Um, they were getting a ton of great pressure on Jared Goff. But it almost was like he was just playing his game with the and, and sort of vibing with his with his receivers and his running back and his teammates. And Sean was connected, but he wasn't too connected. And it just I don't know. And again, don't nobody quote me on this, but like that's just the, I just that's just kind of a vibe that I that I picked up. And and um, you know, obviously you've you've been watching these guys you know up close for a lot longer than than I have. So I think that obviously I think your, your insight to that point is, is extremely valuable as well. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know. I don't know how many people would agree with that, but, uh, but, but I appreciate it. And yeah, it's like, but, and then you, you look at it when they did get back on track and it, it was largely by running the ball and it was kind of getting back to basics and feeding Daryl Henderson that, that one uh, touchdown drive, I think, I think they ended up running it like seven out of eight times or maybe six out of uh, seven to, to start that drive. And it's like, when you do that, you just, you settle everybody down. You settle Jared down, you settle the line down. Maybe you even settle the receivers down. Uh, when, when you give the ball to, to Daryl and he gets, you know, three, four five yards on first down, everybody gets a little less tense on, on yeah. second down and, and, and third down. And it just kind of seemed like, especially again, I, I don't want to harp too much on that, on that first drive, but it was like, you go down seven to nothing. Right. And everybody's like, Whoa, Hey, you know what, what happened there? 49ers aren't supposed to score, you know, like, so everybody's already a little bit on edge. And, and then you come out throwing the ball and you get a couple early incompletions and you have to punt. And then it just kind of snowballs. And it, it seemed like later on, they said, settled down a little bit. They, they started running the ball a little bit better and, and, you know, the offense got, got a little bit more in sync. So, you know, I know I'm sure a coach would listen to what I just said and say, well, you're, you're, you're being too simple with it, but, um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, That's I, I us. think, yeah. <laughs> but so Jordan, what, what do we think about this? Because I, I know you you did uh, just get some insight, and and it should be said, uh, Jordan. Uh, you know, really, people people sometimes get on reporters. Why don't you ask? You know, this question. Jordan is really trying to get the answers on on this subject, and I I, I commend you for this. But it was it was a week ago, right, when we heard Sean McVay. I'm I'm not even sure it was in response to a question. It almost seemed more unprompted than anything <laughs> when he declared. I think that's a good word. He declared that Cam Akers would be a bigger part of the uh, offense against the 49ers. Cam Akers had, let me count them up here, um, zero. He had zero carries in, in the game. So, and, and he had uh, one snap. So, Jordan, was, was Sean uh, doing a really good job of, of uh, trying to deflect early on? Or what, what did you glean from, from kind of asking him? I know you touched on a little bit with the, the Malcolm Brown and, mm -hmm. and pass protection and all of that. But like, what's, what's your understanding now of kind of where this, this committee is at? I think uh, a work in progress, and I don't think you are under this much construction if, you know, you had Henderson through most of training camp and he had the hamstring and you have Cam Akers, you know, he missed two games with the rib injury, uh, understandably so. And I, I don't think you're quite as under construction if you're in this scenario. But basically, Sean McVay essentially was like, yeah, um, we would like to get him more involved, but there are things we, we'd like to also keep Daryl Henderson in the game, which he was at, you know, Sean was asked by another reporter initially about acres, but I think that the direct, more direct question pertains to you have a running back who's getting hot and then you take him out of the game in Daryl Henderson 
And especially when your biggest formula for success and and doing what you do, not what someone else is doing or thinks you should do, was to continue to run the ball down, um, what, 25 points to the Buffalo Bills, to continue to run the ball behind your hot back. And Daryl Henderson, again, against um, the Niners, was the hot back. He ran the ball 88 yards on 14 carries, 6.3 yards per carry, against a stacked box 43% of the time, according to our friends at Next Gen Stats. That's pretty freaking good. (laughs) But so I asked Sean, because Sean tonight was asked about, you know, well, where was Cam Akers and what's the deal with the rotation? And he basically was like, yeah, it's situational. Again, some of the – we were on and off the field really quickly. We didn't get to string together some of those longer drives. We didn't have the situations we wanted to put Cam in the game. Um, He needs to play more. Obviously, you need to play him more to get him comfortable with their system and to get him back up to speed and to get some of these things that you need to do with him. But they didn't like the situations that they were presented in order to get him in the game. I think the bigger question is, why didn't you keep going with Daryl Henderson? And and so I I asked him because he, he made a comment about restarting the rotation which to me indicates a snap count for your running backs, which means that it doesn't matter, which would mean, you know, hypothetically, that it wouldn't matter at what point Daryl Henderson's starting to get hot. If he's hit his pitch count for that time, he's out and in comes Malcolm Brown, which is not what McVeigh says is happening, but it's what it looked like last night, <laughs> or excuse me, Sunday night. You know, I, it's what it looked like. So, So I was confused. I was wandering. And so I asked like, okay, well, does, when you say that, like, does that mean it's on a pitch count? If they are on a pitch count, is that flexible? Or is that subject to in-game adjusting just like you would adjust any other part of your offense or defense to not just counter what the opponent's doing, but I believe accentuate what you are doing. Right. Don't you think that maybe, you know, that should be flexible? He gave a great answer. Basically he was like, heck yeah, I'd like to be more flexible. <laughs> like I'd love to, it basically he was like, we really want to get those guys on the field more. Um, we really want to, but, but, but what he said directly was Malcolm Brown is, is much more advanced right now in terms of the protections when they think they might be in a passing situation. Sometimes they will run the ball instead if they don't get the look or the defense counters against the pass. But when they're in a, a situation they think they might pass the ball, a lot of times Malcolm Brown is on the field because he is very, very good against some of the, the pressures that come up that, that coaches and defensive coordinators are able to, to draw up against Jared Goff. And as we know, at, even, even at, though he's better at working in chaos this year, you still want to try to keep Jared Goff as clean as possible. So enter Malcolm Brown doing a lot of the things to try to counter so if you think you might pass the ball, it could be even like 40-60 you might pass the ball versus run depending on what what look you get or what you have to check into based on what the defense counters from your initial, you know, pre-snap read. You know, you if you at all think you might be passing the ball, a lot of those times Malcolm Brown is the guy in those situations. And so basically Sean McVay was like, okay, we would like to be more flexible in our rotation as time passes. We we assume we will be more flexible as time passes in our rotation and and are able to keep the hot back on the field. But in this case, they felt like they had to, at times, take Daryl off the field for Malcolm um, just in case some of those pressures were starting to accumulate or, or be run against the Rams and Jared Goff in passing situations, things like that. But again... First of all, <laughs> here I am ranting again, Rich. I'm so sorry to our listeners. Like, I know this is a habit that I fall into, but this is, like, really important. Okay, yeah. so first of all, if you are ru- if you are running the football consistently, <laughs> which, which is where you have success as a fundamental core concept of your identity as an offense, that means that you are not needing the guy to come in on a potential passing situation. Right. 
Okay. Second of all, if you have Malcolm Brown in the game on too many true passing situations and tendencies, teams are going to start understanding that when Malcolm Brown is in the game, you're going to probably pass the freaking ball. Like, you, yep. you, you probably can't fall into that too much because you're, you're basically showing your hand by having him on the field. And, of course, you can now counter and then run it instead. But wouldn't you at times rather run it with your running back who consistently is averaging over six yards per carry? you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, this is, um, I think you can, you can overthink this a little bit if you're a coach, because everything that you'd said, it makes total sense. It makes total sense to, to want to put yourselves in those situations or to avoid those situations where you have a guy uh, in their pass protecting, who's maybe not as strong as, as Malcolm Brown. All makes sense. Totally. But it's not, at some point you have to take a step back and say, Okay, but how are we having success right now? Because they were having success. It wasn't like everything was stagnant. Uh, they were moving the ball. And, you know, I, I don't think you can really coach from a position of fear and say, well, gosh, if we leave Daryl Henderson on the field right now, maybe what if this, what if that, what if this happens? Don't don't worry about that. You're moving the ball. You're having success with what you're doing. Um, so uh, to, to not stay with that just because they think, well, you know, we could end up in a bad spot if we don't have Malcolm Brown on the field here. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it certainly makes sense from a from a coaching standpoint, but just from watching the game, I think you got a feel for what was working and what wasn't. And, and having Daryl Henderson on the field was working. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to, to navigate all those backs. I mean, it's, it's not easy. And, and that's, not something Sean has really done before either. Um, so whether there's a little bit of a, a learning curve or an adjustment there to where, you know, you're, you're trying to work in three running backs, uh, the, he, he's never had to do that before. But uh, so, you know, again, I don't know. It, it certainly does sound like, um, based on what Sean said and the answers to your questions like that, it certainly does sound like there's a little bit of a pitch count. And uh, I, I think they would uh, they would benefit from from lightening up a little bit on that and really just, again, maybe taking a step back and saying, all right, what's working right now? And let's let's roll with that. And in this case, against the 49ers, Daryl Henderson was working and probably should have been on the field a little bit more. Yeah, and not to... Uh continue to belabor a point that I think we all agree upon. <laughs> but but I think, you know, I, I mentioned this the other day too. Just because you're not seeing something work right now doesn't mean it's not going to work in the future. I still think this is six games in with a lot of new pieces, just, just as we're sort of starting to see the defense unfold itself Problems aside with tackling and um, execution errors that we saw just left and right on Sunday night, you're starting to see more pieces of it unfold as the weeks progress. And I think that can also be the same with the offense because as we need to continue to keep in consideration, everything Sean McVay does on offense is predicated by the run. So as you – it just means – it is that much more important to be intentional with how you are setting up the various layers within your run game because you can't it just it's 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 not something that was just going to happen overnight and you see how exciting the potential is of all of these guys and and I think everybody's so excited about Cam Akers and they should be because he's a phenomenal athlete and a versatile athlete and um Daryl Henderson, so exciting to watch. As Sean said, he's like a keg rolling downhill at you. Like he's <laughs> he's just really fun to watch. And Malcolm Brown is just like pretty dependable and obviously brings that veteran savvy. And so I think it's 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 one thing to know all of those possibilities exist. It's another thing to start to layer them together and to get into a feel of getting them to work, but in a way where you're not completely sacrificing all of your fundamental pieces of your offense. If that makes sense. I mean, I think they have mm-hmm. to be just have to be careful and intentional with how they unroll this. And you hate to have those injuries setting you back. I think they'd be well, well far ahead of, of where they are right now without those injuries. Um, also, probably with a, a spring and a preseason and things like yeah. that. Yeah. But 
they are where they are. And so now they have to be extra intentional and extra careful, I think, in, in that regard. So I can, I can sort of, it's frustrating to watch, but I can also sort of understand where a little bit of the hitches are. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's no question about it. Like, I, I think it's, it's still very much a work in progress. And, and the pieces are there. That's, that's the, if you want to look at it from a positive sense, uh, the pieces are all there. They might, it might take them a little while to put them together, but it's not like you look at that group and, and just go, Ooh, I don't know about these guys, you know, <laughs> like you're trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. I, I don't think that's the situation. I, I think once they do figure it out, uh, they're, they're going to be pretty potent there, but, uh, they're, they're just not there yet. And you know what? We talked about the 49ers cornerbacks, but, but credit their defense. I mean, their defensive staff, uh, they've given the Rams problems before. This isn't the first time it's, it's happened, and it probably won't be the last time. So uh, at some point, you have to you know, tip your hat to, to the other side, too, and, and say that they uh, did a good job. But um, you know, certainly understand the frustration uh, among the Rams fans. It's, it's the 49ers, which doesn't help either because everybody wants to beat the 49ers. It's the first division game, which uh, everybody wants to, to win that first one, especially when the 49ers are a little bit banged up. So definitely understand the angst uh, from all the Rams fans out there, most of whom want a new kicker. Also, <laughs> I don't know if we do we um, want to go down that rabbit hole or, or know, not. Or... I, I will touch on it. I will dwell okay. on it briefly because um, obviously I liked what you said on social media on Sunday Night Rich because it clearly was not the key to them losing that game was Samuel Sloman missing that point after attempt. Um, it, it is a little bit of a... I wouldn't say a gut punch, but it's like a shin kick maybe because you have all this momentum and you score even though you didn't score on your first drive and then you go and you score and, and okay, let's start building. And then you're like, oh man, (laughs) you know? So I would say it's like a stubbed toe, maybe not a gut punch or a shin kick, although those are kind of painful too. But, you know, I think, um, what I really have issue with is these low kicks. I have such an issue with them. I am a perennial optimist. I am so like person focused. I'm like, I would be the person to give this kid all of the patience in the world. But the problem is, is that is something that was already addressed was the low kick to where it's basically a defensive tackle lifting a pinky finger and he can block the kick. Like you, there's little effort from a def- from a uh, 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 special teams unit, a lot of defensive linemen who are like longer in the arms to to try to put put an arm up and block a kick. It took such little effort both times it happened, and then there's some risky ones that we've seen on tape as well. And that was something that already had been addressed as something that needed to be fixed, and it wasn't clearly. Right. So that's where I start to lose. My patience. I, I'm speaking for myself, obviously. Right. Um, I do want to point out, if Rams fans are are sort of interested in reading the tea leaves a little bit, Sean McVay was asked directly about Samuel Sloman um, on Monday night when he spoke with media. And I just want people to listen to his tone because I think it was telling. I think he's like, you know, he's, he basically said, you know, disappointed in the missed PAT. Happy with the way he rebounded. Obviously, he had a 42-yarder. But these errors are things that have to be fixed. He has to be more consistent. And very solemn tone. So I would kind of read the tea leaves on that. Now, again, I know there's some suggestions out there about bringing in kickers for tryouts. That's really hard to do right now because of COVID restrictions. It's like a five-day incubation period for tryouts, and you have two negative tests. And um, it takes time. So... Maybe that's something like I had said before, like maybe you think about that during the bye week. Um, but for now, it seems like the window is getting very small. Yeah, and I totally understand the Rams fans because, yeah, I, I tried to couch it a certain way and say, you know what, I understand what you're saying, but like this isn't the reason that, that they lost the game. And I, I understand what people are saying back to me, which is that we don't want to get to the point where he costs a game. And I totally understand that. And that's a very difficult uh, thing to do because you look at it so far and you go, well, has he cost them a game? No, he hasn't cost them a game, but has he been 
has even been like a top three reason that they've lost the game. No, he hasn't been that either. Uh, But you don't want to get to the point, especially with some of these games the Rams have coming up. I mean, Say what you want about Chicago, I you know that could be a it could be a close game. Uh, you know, Seattle's right around the corner. Tampa Bay is right around the corner. I mean, they have games coming up where you can very easily see it coming down to a field goal or even an extra point. And I, I understand what fans are saying is that hey, you know, maybe you should do this now before you even get to the point where right. uh, where and and I understand that, but. That that's really tough. I, I but I, I agree with you. You know, I know I know Sean McVay. He's not a patient man, and and a lot of his uh, success <laughs> in life is because he's not a patient man. Uh, so I'm sure he's thinking the same thing. He's thinking, you know, what am I going to do uh, if it, if it comes down to a field goal? Do I have that trust? Um, so what they decide to do about that, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Samuel Sloman's makeup, to be honest with you. And uh, what what motivates him? What uh, is he a guy <laughs> who's going to have that fire lit under him if they do have some kind of kicking competition, or is that just going to make him even more uh, put him in an even worse spot, you know, emotionally and everything else? So it's a very difficult thing to to navigate, but. I, I do understand, you know, to, to think that you could get to the bye week. I don't know. That's a, it, it looks a little bit uh, a little bit dicey just because, Jordan, like you said, the issues with the low kicks. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a kicking guru, so I can't sit here and say whether or not that's fixable in, in a short period of time. But I, I don't know. It's it, it can't be easy uh, to just turn something like that around. So. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they address it, but um, but you know he wasn't a reason that they that they lost that game. No, and I kind of compare. It's it's October, so I can use kind of a Halloween sure metaphor. It's like you see Freddy Krueger down the street, or Jason. I actually just only recently watched these movies, by the way, the Halloween oh, wow. movies. I know. Um, you see Jason standing down the street, you know, doing that thing he does where he just stands sure. there. Yes. Are you going to run away once he's two feet in front of you, or are you going to start running right now? That's, right. That's, <laughs> are you going to wait? Are you going to wait right. until inevitable murder, or are you going to just try to get a head start? Right. Yeah, this is the, the the Rams fans right now are the ones watching the movie who are yelling at run the TV away. screen, run, run, Jason's coming. Like that's, don't just that's stand exactly, there. Don't just stand there. Yeah. And, and I totally get that. But it's it's a hard thing to it navigate is. because maybe a little know, more gray area than the situation that I just yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's standing there with a, with an axe or right. whatever it is that uh, that Jason carries. But no, it is a delicate balance. I mean, I know a lot of fans right now would say, cut him, cut Sam Sloman, you know, right now. Well, has he done anything that really, really justifies cutting him? And are you certain that what you're bringing in, the great unknown, would be better than what you have? I yeah. don't know. But on the other hand, you're again, you're staring at Jason, right? You're staring at, at the future and thinking like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen uh, if, if this guy has to kick a 40-yard field goal to win the game? Like you just yeah. you don't know. So um, yeah. very, you, very interesting. Yeah, and you, um, I think one of the issues here too is like, you don't want to have to think about your kicker all the time. I mean, you just don't. I mean, really. Like, at this point, I would be, if I were Samuel Sloman, I would be concerned about how often I'm on the minds of the public and the coaching staff. Because you are supposed to be so consistent to where you are just a whisper on campus. You know, like, you are just right. at the, you're a last on the list of things to worry about. That's what the job of a kicker is, to make kicks and to not be, you know, questioned uh, as frequently as, as he is. And so at, at a certain point, you know, you have to sort of weigh that in your mind as well. Like, is it, is it worth my, how it will inevitably if affect my game plan, how much I'm worrying about this kicker? Yeah, and that's, I mean, so much of that was, you know, not to 
maybe to just put a point on it, you know, going back to 2017 and 2018, I mean, they, they literally called Greg Zerline Mr. Automatic because mm-hmm. they really did have that belief. And it, it was not just Sean, it was Jared, it was the whole offense to almost like, hey, if, if, we, if we get to the 40-yard line, if we get to the plus 40, we're getting points. And when when you have that mindset, I mean, it just it, it, a it has to feel really good, and and b I think it affects the way that that you do call the game. Uh, maybe it affects your third down call before you even get to that point. To, right. to you know, if you have that confidence. So, but but again, you know, I I know this goes without saying, but. Uh, there's not a Hall of Fame kicker sitting out there without a job right now. So everybody, basically everybody who is unemployed is unemployed for a reason. And uh, you make a switch like this and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe you're making an improvement. Maybe you're not. You, you just don't know. So it's, it's yeah. a big decision. And uh, I'm, I really am fascinated to see what they do with it. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You know, I want, I, we had a lot of different, I did address kicker questions in the mailbag this week, uh, this past week ahead of the week six matchup. There were a lot of questions that I didn't get to because I didn't want to give you a 4,000 word essay to edit, Rich. So, <laughs> um, lots of great questions. I think I would like to ask you a few of them as well, because I did promise that I would answer some of these on the podcast. Um, okay. You guys are listening to jo- myself, Jordan Rodriguez, and Rich Hammond at the 11 Personnel Podcast at theathletic.com. And we had some really, really great questions. Um, one of them was about Ja'Kai Polite. And I know you, you covered Rich when he came in. And yeah. people, I think, are wondering about possibility of increasing his workload, particularly with oboe out uh, for the you know next four to six weeks with that elbow injury and then the surgery. And at that point, what do you, you know, h- how are you starting to generate pressure off the edge, which they have not been doing well? Um, oboe was flashing really well, but they are not getting pressure right now um, right. around the outside. So what, so first of all, is Ja'Kai Polite possibly an answer there? A follow-up question that I got a lot was, do we think that maybe that help is outside the building right now? Yeah, it, it always could be. But again, it's I, I don't think you see that very often where a guy is going to come in off the street um, and, and really make an impact like that. Um, that. That would be pretty surprising to me. Could, could they do something at the trade deadline? I don't know. Maybe they could. Maybe there's somebody out there who could who could come in and, and make an impact. Maybe somebody who the, the coaches are already previously familiar with. I'm not suggesting anything. I don't I don't have any idea, but uh, certainly a possibility. But yeah, it definitely looks like they're still trying to figure that out on, on the outside. Um, you know, Ja'Kai Polite, I'm looking at it right now. He only had nine snaps out of the out of the 73 in that game, and looking at Terrell Lewis, he only had nine um, also. So clearly, they're they're trying to figure some of that out. I, I don't think they found what they've been looking for exactly uh, from no. from that outside linebacker mix. I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, so could you see him step into that and and maybe get a bigger role? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, will we see Terrell Lewis get a little bit more time there? I, I think we probably will. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, just Kai Plight was interesting. He came in last year, uh, practice squad. Obviously he had, uh, I think he got cut twice before the, before the Rams, um, signed him. So he came in with very, very, uh, low expectations and you didn't hear a whole lot. Uh, he, he didn't, uh, get up to the active roster. You just kind of played the whole year on, on the practice squad and, and, uh, very quiet and, and came into this year kind of thinking, well, you know, can he crack that rotation? Uh, I think the talent has always been there. Uh, maybe if he can, if he can earn that trust a little bit more and, uh, and, and get on the field, he, he could be an option. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I think they'd still like to see some of these other guys kind of, 
kind of get it going a little bit, whether it's, uh, you know, Samson or, or Terrell or, uh, you know, Floyd on the other side. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I could see it happening, but, um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of questions about rotational slash depth guys. Jakai is one of them for sure. Um, has flashed in, in limited opportunities. I, I don't think, I do think they see him a little bit more situationally, um, a little bit more of a role player right now. But they, again, it's it's pretty much anyone's job for the taking right now, that, that spot opposite Leonard Floyd, because they're not getting it done. So the first guy who can step in there and consistently get it done, I mean, you saw what happened with Oboe. Oboe was starting to produce on his limited snaps and completely leapfrogged over Samson Ebicom the, the next week, obviously got hurt. Um, but, but that's really there. I get the impression they're still very much looking for the answer in that regard. Another position, I'm going to, I'm going to postulate this question, but like, (laughs) I also don't know the answer. Someone needs to explain this to me. Like I'm five. (laughs) Why won't the Rams commit to Simba Webster as the full-time punt returner as my eye twitches? Yeah, I don't get it either. Now, this was another thing, right, that Sean McVay hinted at, I think, last week, right? Yeah, and, smokescreen and then, Sean, we're calling him now. Right. And then they did, though, right? Because yeah. Simba Webster was in there, uh, I, I think, for, for most of the, the first half, maybe even into the second half. And then I think it got a little bit late, and, and they put Cooper Cup back in there. I'll tell this is completely 100% my opinion. So let me preface this by saying, but when I saw it happening, my thought was maybe they think Cooper Cup still has the big play potential. Like mm-hmm. maybe they look at it and say, okay, on a on a regular basis, yes, we we're, we're going to have Simba Webster back there more. But we're when we're in this situation where you know it's a one score game, or it might have even been a two score game at that point, you know who's who's going to return the punt for a touchdown? Well, you know Cooper Cup, mm-hmm. he, he, you know he, you know what I'm saying. He, yeah, <laughs> so I, I, I'm I'm wondering if that's a little bit what it was because there wasn't yeah. anything about Simba Webster that made you go well. He clearly can't handle this job. In fact, I thought he did a nice job when when he got those opportunities. But maybe they're still looking at it a little bit, saying, you know what, Cooper Cup still has that home run potential. So if if we're going to take a big swing here, we're, we're still going to put Cooper Cup back there. But I don't know if if it's me, I I play Simba Webster back there, and I and I think I think you agree. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I was just lost about the switch near the end of the game, and. I, this is nothing against Cooper. I think Cooper was put in kind of a crappy situation because he barely got any punt return reps in training camp. And then all of a sudden week one, he's back there, you know, and, and, you know, made a couple of questionable sort of unforced errors. And, you know, then this week we see Simba Webster. I thought Simba Webster brought the ball out with confidence, right. with sort of that, explosive like he just looked like um like a coiled wire like he was just ready to just (laughs) explode right like he just really had that sort of electrifying presence it it, it wasn't just stability it wasn't just okay catch the ball fair catch it you know it was like he was ready to go and one of those moves that he made on one of the punt return I really liked he kind of almost let another guy run run sort of like a faux pick for him like mm-hmm. and he but he shaded off at the last second so he he bought himself like 10 extra yards on that move and it was just really savvy and really explosive i i love seeing that i thought that he did a great job i don't know why they won't commit to him as the full-time punt returner um it's not for lack of asking (laughs) trust me (laughs) like i i simply do not know um so if someone can explain that to me like i am five years old i would appreciate it that question came from greg divers at g dive on twitter um I did get an email question that I wanted to get to real quick, Rich, if you don't mind staying on with me here. Okay, this came from our friend in the comments section. We see um, them all the time in our uh, the Athletic Los Angeles comments section, which, by the way, guys, is is a lovely place. I would recommend joining us because <sighs> we have some great dialogue in there. It is not like 
thankfully, many of the comment sections you are probably familiar with because we get some great dialogue going. And we even have a running joke with the guy, Brandon S., who we think we're pretty sure is not Brandon <laughs> Staley, but maybe right. he is, and just putting on a little bit of a show with the burner account. Anyway, this question is great. Um, so CZ wants to know if Sean McVay, because now he knows, Sean McVay knows if I hire coordinators, I might lose them at some point. Mm. So he's wondering if Sean McVay has gotten involved at all on the defensive side, kind of like how Bill Belichick started getting involved on the offensive side for the Patriots. Um, the answer is yes. And I think that's, that's interesting. Um, Brandon Staley let something slip the other day when we were talking to him where he said that Sean McVay is, is super involved and sits in on a lot of the, the defensive meetings. And actually, Brandon Staley believes that Sean would call a defensive game just the same as how Brandon would. Isn't that interesting? That that really is fascinating. I'd like to see that. that would I know. Be Switch places. Let's see what happens. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> no that would punts. be a great pre- Run, preseason like, game. Where, like, you're just going four verts every single play. <laughs> no, <laughs> no punting. Yeah, no, yeah. that would be really, really, really fun. But I, isn't that so interesting, Rich? It is, yeah. It, but you know what? Not surprising yeah. because, um, I mean, it is, it's It's interesting to hear uh, Brandon Staley say that. But going back to the offseason, I, I think if, if people go back and read some of the comments that Sean made right after the end of the season, that some of his most kind of introspective comments were when he said he thought he had gotten away a little bit from kind of being the the full team coach. I'm, I'm very loosely paraphrasing what he said, but uh, I, I think he felt he had gotten a little bit disconnected. So I, I think that was also part of the process, thought process in hiring an offensive coordinator in Kevin O'Connell is that he could have somebody there to collaborate with so that Sean wasn't spending all of his time with the offense or think that he needed to spend all of his time with the offense. He could go, uh, you know, sit in with the defense or, or talk to those guys more, or talk to the special teams guys mm-hmm. more. So I, I think that was a big part of uh, the reason why they did what they did in hiring an offensive coordinator, maybe even in making the change that they did in, in the defensive coordinator to where uh, Sean now working with a guy in Brandon Staley who – you know they have a lot in common. They're they're kind of on the same page. They're kind of the same guy as, yeah. as, as you've written so much. For better so, or for worse, yeah. For, they, yeah. So they're pretty that, much the same person. So. Yeah. So that that doesn't surprise me. But but to hear that uh, to hear that it's happening in practice the way that Sean intended it to to happen after the end of the season, uh, it's very interesting. But uh, and to hear Brandon say that is is also uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a fun thing, I think, from Brandon Staley. He's not too overly polished yet. I mean, he's very, very polished. He's a, obviously the son of an English teacher, so he conveys and communicates very well. What I appreciate is that he does let the details slip. With Sean, I notice I have to press him a little bit more <laughs> to get specific details. Brandon's like, oh, yeah, you want to know what we're doing specifically with Jalen Ramsey? Why didn't you ask me earlier? You know, so <laughs> it's it's really been interesting. So and this leads into my last question that I'm going to ask you, Rich. This is from Sean Sullivan on Twitter. So let's hypothesize. Brandon Staley's running the offense. Sean McVay's running the defense. In that case, do you think we would ever see Aaron Donald get a goal line opportunity. <laughs> I love this question because I want this to happen like so bad. I would love for this to happen. This would be incredible. It really would. I, I'm trying to, I'm sitting here as you're speaking, you know, trying to envision it in, in my mind's eye, like, like how it would go. And uh, boy, I could, t- I want to see Aaron Donald in the wildcat. I'll take you even a oh step my God. further. Let's like, just put oh. him back there. Right. And, and let those defenders know he's coming at you. Like who's going to step up and make the tackle, you know, who, who's going to be the one? Not to, I. Uh, no, not me either. So, <laughs> so let's just double down on that. Let's not even put him back there as a, as a fullback or as a, as a single back. Uh, let's, let's put him in the wildcat and, and just let him run right at you from, uh, from the, from the two yard line and, and see who's going to step up and, uh, and, and tackle him. I I'd love to see it. I don't, uh, I don't know whether we're ever going to see it, but, no. uh, but it, it really would be something. 
It's like the age-old question. I see this circulate around Twitter every once in a while when players make really good plays. Like, would you rather fight an Aaron Donald-sized duck or a thousand <laughs> duck-sized Aaron Donalds? Uh, yeah, no, I I would not want a thousand duck-sized Aaron Donalds. That oh sounds terrifying. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. like... <laughs> She could change the world that way. I really yeah. like you. Just like think of the amazing things those guys could do. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're getting way off the rails here, but um, this is the Eleven Personnel Podcast. You guys know where to find us. Uh, we love having you listen in and leave us comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to us and leave us a five star review. If you are finding us in the Athletic app, click on your profile. And you'll see a podcast section, and there we are. You can listen ad-free on the Athletic app as well. Um, Rich, where can everyone find you? Ah, well, I'm, uh, I'm always uh, on Floating Twitter. Floating in the void. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I had some great discussions last night on Twitter. So yeah, you Rich, did. Rich underscore Hammond, always glad to. Uh, I, I told Jordan, I, I think I understand the ethos of of the the frustrated Rams fan because I've I've been there in 2016 and and some of the other years when uh, things were a little bit darker. So I understand it. But uh, if you want the real football analysis, you need to go to at Jordan Rodrigue, who uh, is always there asking the good questions and uh, doing all the breakdowns. And, and Jordan, I know you got some great stuff coming up too. So everybody should make sure they're following along with you so that they don't miss anything. Yeah, you guys, you know, you can always subscribe to The Athletic via The Athletic Podcast, and you will always get one of my favorite things on this planet, a discount for doing so. And I hope you don't miss the coverage that Rich and I have planned for the next couple of weeks, because we're covering everything you will need to know about the trade deadline. We've got some great features in the works that Rich and I have really been working on together and have been really excited about and obviously, we have the inevitable Rams upswing to cover. And I truly do believe that. I think better days are ahead in the next few weeks for this football team, starting with the Chicago Bears on Monday Night Football. Rich, do you like how I said bears? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> totally inadvertent, but I'll take it. Uh, okay. Guys, this is the 11 Personnel Podcast. Thanks again for listening.